0: This is a podcast by The Straits Times and Money FM
1: 89.3. Hello, and welcome to The Letter from the Bureau, a special series which is part of The Straits Times Asian Insider podcast channel. I'm your host, ST's foreign editor, Bhagyashi Garika. Now, The Letter from the Bureau is meant to be a detour, a scenic detour from the raging news of the day. We like to talk about life as it goes on amid all the crises around us. I chat each month with one of ST's 30-odd correspondents in 15 cities across the Asia-Pacific, United States, and Europe, and they share with you interesting trends and events unfolding in their countries. In our 12th episode, we are talking to ST's Indochina Bureau Chief, Tan Huiyi. It's good to have you on the show, Huiyi.
0: Hi, Bagheel. Good to be on the show.
1: Okay. Now, Thailand. You're in Thailand, which is a you know an all-time favourite for tourists just around the world. Now, are you seeing the tourists come back now that all the COVID-related restrictions on travel have been relaxed?
0: Well, conditions have certainly improved from last year. But the number of visitors landing in Thailand are still a fraction of the pre-pandemic levels. On the 1st of May, for example, Thailand scrapped this uh, test-and-go system which means that uh, vaccinated tourists uh, are free to enter the country without tests or quarantine. But they still had to go through this process called the Thailand PASS system, which many felt uh, was very cumbersome. You know, you got to submit your insurance, your vaccination details, your flight details and your address, mm-hmm. all before you could um, get this QR code to enter Thailand, right? So mm-hmm. uh, tourists are not exactly rushing to Thailand yet. As of April, the kind of uh, forward-lookings we saw for this year was only 25% of pre-pandemic levels. Bear in mind that before the pandemic, Thailand was receiving something like 40 million visitors a year.
1: Now, you wrote very recently, Hui, about a trip that you made to Thailand's deep south. Now, I think that part of the country, many people still associate it with unrest and violence and terrorism more than tourism. Is that an unfair assessment now?
0: It's hard to say what's unfair because um, a lot of things changed with the pandemic and the pandemic served to dampen a lot of activities in the entire country. So I went to Beitong, which is the, this district right at the southern tip of Thailand. It's also at the southern tip of Thailand's southern border provinces, which is Patani, Yala, Naratiwa, and a part of Songkha province. Collectively, this is known as the Deep South. And over here, the Malay separatists have been fighting an insurgency since uh, 2004. Um, The BRN, which is the main insurgent group, declared a halt to its activities in April 2020 to try to facilitate efforts uh, by the public health workers to contain the pandemic. Um, The Thai security forces uh, did not reciprocate and continued hunting down the militants. So that triggered a retaliation. So we saw a kind of dampening down of activities, but then also as a result of the authorities' reaction, we saw a rise in the number of violent incidents last year. Uh, This was the first rise since 2013. So overall, it's a bit hard to say whether it's still Uh, whether the violence is still at the same level as it was before the pandemic. Uh, Things are still developing. But definitely peace talks um, have resumed between the Thai government and the separatists. So you wrote recently
1: about heading to Beitong, uh, Hui. Uh, I was wanting to ask you, what's so special about Beitong? You know, what might you see and do there? And I guess uh, for tourists from here, especially the more popular Destinations might still be Bangkok or Phuket, for instance. So why should anyone go to Beitong? And why did you?
0: I went to Beitong because I first uh, went to Beitong in 2018 as part of a two-week assignment to the Thai Deep South. I wanted to see what it was like living in this area uh, which is plagued by insurgency and that's when I realized how varied the experiences can be, uh, depending on the location that you travel to. Um, Beitong was one of the places that I went to. And I would say it's a very unique place. It is uh, located in the mountainous area of the deep south, which in itself is dominated by Malay Muslims. But in Beitong town, you will see many ethnic Chinese. Um, many of them were members of the Malayan Communist Party who, you know, settled down under an amnesty program in the 1980s. So that's fed into the local culture. On the streets, you see a mixture of Chinese, Thai, Malay food, a lot more Chinese temples. I will hear Cantonese and Mandarin being spoken. And although the wider area is, is a restive region, um, Beitong itself has escaped most of the violence. The last incident that people can recall was in the 2014 when a car bomb went off in front of a hotel downtown. Back then, that killed three people and wounded over 30 others. But since then, uh, it's been pretty peaceful. Uh, people in Beidong, uh they, they get by with uh, small rubber plantations, but there's also a uh, an active tourism industry, which focuses on the Malaysians who crossed the border from Berap.
1: So plenty to see there and eat. I think uh, from the way you describe it. Now, so tell me now between the trip that you made earlier and this one, what was the difference? I, I mean, the place must have changed because of pandemic as elsewhere. But uh, how do you? What were the kind of differences you saw on your trip?
0: Yeah, that's the interesting part because. Before the pandemic, Betong was known for its dim sum and its nightlife. You wouldn't think that this small little town would have a nightlife, but mm. it was uh, considered like a party place yeah. for the Malaysians who crossed over. It had a lot of karaoke bars. Um, you know, Oh, it had also a lot mm-hmm. of uh, good street food. Um, and after the pandemic, the dim sum stayed, but the nightlife disappeared. Uh, the tourists also disappeared because most of their tourists came from across the border and the border checkpoint was closed. So, but something interesting happened along the way. Um, as the locals started looking inward, they started developing restaurants and cafes that were, that catered more to Thai taste so i was speaking to one of the cafe owners and she mentioned and she recently started this this cafe that uh, looked like this giant cactus it had this grass roof it had a lot of very uh, uh pretty corners that you could take mm-hmm. photographs for your instagram account and uh, she mentioned that this was something that the thai tourists would
1: mm-hmm.
0: love but it was not Something that uh people in Batang would have thought to do mm. for the pandemic because you know the Malaysian tourists were there, so it and the, the k t b bar bars were mm. just you know fine for them. Mm. so uh that was something that changed, and another thing was che- that changed was uh the street art. Uh, they had this uh, program to introduce a lot more street art on all these, on the walls of these old shop houses in Beitong. So I had a walk around the old town. I was accompanied by some of the locals. Um, it was amazing. You could see uh, there was a, a little a little shrine that was dedicated to Guan Yu, which is the God of War. Um, next to that shrine was this mural that uh, was uh, was kind of like a modern depiction of this God of War. And then you had these fantastical images of the beitong chicken, which is more like the Kampong chicken that we parents know. Ooh. Um, and a beitong is known for its uh, swallows. These swallows, uh, kind of roost in oh, a downtown see. area at night. Right. So there were these depictions of swallows that ran right across these walls of the shop houses. And then you had like super-sized frogs and cats just looking down at you as you uh, drove past in your car, or or, or you know, just walk past. So there were lots of these. Uh, when I was there, there, there were a lot of these the tourists who were just walking around town, taking pictures, taking selfies next to these murals. It was quite a sight. Um, one more thing. One more thing that changed was also uh in the Beitong district, they had this thing called the Wing Skywalk. Mm. So that's uh tall tower with a glass floor bridge, um, in an area which they call the sea of mist. Um, so if you, if you dare, you can have, uh, take a walk on this glass floor bridge where you will see the, uh, treetops beneath your feet and, uh, you'll have this amazing 360 degree view of the mist and the mountains around you. Right. So, did you dare? Uh, Yeah, it took me a while. It took me something like uh, five minutes staring at the glass floor (laughs) before I could could kind of take a deep breath and step out. But it was worth it. This podcast is available on our audio app. That's A-W-E-D-I-O. Like us and rate us. And now, back to our podcast episode.
1: mentioned was street art so again i think it's, it's been seen in some you know malaysian cities i think penang and uh, Malacca, and i think some indonesian cities as well so it seems to be part of uh, something that's uh, uh, i suppose aimed at stoking or tapping local creativity local artists and it does add a charm to the city and i know it's popular with uh, people who like to go and um, you know take pictures and all all, all that stuff Uh, So this this yeah so was that
0: local as well? Hmm? It was interesting. What's interesting as well is that these the 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 images that they chose to put on the murals they they reference local history. So, um, people pointed out to me, for example, that some of the hawkers that they painted on the walls they were real people. They were people who lived in this town. Um, Oh, so the famous hawkers mm -hmm. were they
1: like? institutions of, you know, people who people remember fondly, something like
0: that. Yes. And then there was uh, another one of uh, two basketball legends from Beitong. Oh. Uh, they were also depicted on the walls. Interesting. So uh,
1: obviously a lot of thought has gone into this kind of thing. And uh, yeah, I think I think I would enjoy a, a visit to, uh, to a place like that, which values its local culture really good. But tell me, this other thing is the airport. Now you wrote about the airport uh, being important and you know even having some kind of transformation potential for Betong. So tell us about that.
0: Yeah. So the thing about Betong is that it's relatively inaccessible. If you're a local tourist and you wanted to go to Betong, you usually landed in Hat Yai Airport, and then you have to spend something like mm-hmm. four hours in a van to get to Betong. It's about three hundred kilometers away. And I've I've driven that route. I mean, the view is stunning, but it's it can it's winding and it's steep in some places, and you need a strong stomach because um, you know, if you don't, you end up uh, throwing up. Mm. Um, are the roads well maintained though? Oh yes, the roads are good. Okay, yeah. So so the local uh, Bedong residents uh, they tell me that you know if you wanted to go to Bangkok, you essentially had to spend. One day,
1: hmm.
0: right. Um. So therefore, having that airport was important for the people of Betong. I think it was also important for Betong's economy. Essentially, it connected Betong to, uh, Bangkok, which is a vital source of uh, local tourists, right? Uh, as well as um, uh, international tourists. Because I think, much as the view is stunning, you know, from Hat Yaa Airport. I think people do want an easier way to you know get to uh, the place they want to go to yeah
1: that that definitely would make sense um so it's a treasured airport was it um was it the work of uh, you know the political leaders of that area? how did it come about and and you know why is it a thing i mean why shouldn't why wasn't it there all this while I want to say that
0: there was a lot of local lobbying being done to get the airport built. And the thing, the thing about Beitong Airport is that it had to surmount a lot of obstacles to get built.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: They had to first acquire the land. From what I heard from the local politicians, some of the land was uh, came from rubber plantations. Some of them was dwellings of uh, various villages. So it was a complicated process. Mm-hmm. Um, and eventually, when they did build the airport the runway was unusually short. It was only 1.8 kilometers. So it could only accommodate turboprops like the ATR-72 mm-hmm. or the Bombardier Q400. Uh, the problem is there are only two airlines in Thailand that have these planes. And as you know, the aviation industry worldwide has been battered by the pandemic. So it was very difficult to convince airlines to take the chance on this new route. But anyway, you know, on the 14th of March, the Prime Minister Prayut he took the inaugural commercial flight to Beidong. And that was on um Nok Air. But um after that first flight, they cancelled the remaining flights because of low demand. Uh so that was a shock to uh locals who were expecting this new route to open up. The tickets were expensive, you know. My return ticket between Bangkok and Beidong came up to about 8,000 baht. And that's like the cost of traveling between Singapore and Thailand. So that played a part in the low demand. Uh, but after that, you know, there were intense negotiations between Nok Air and tour operators. And they eventually sealed the deal to keep the planes in the air for the next three months. So these tour operators would buy 60 out of each flight's 86 seats. Um, And the deal was that the airline would then run the flights between Bangkok and Beitong uh, three days a week on Tuesdays, Fridays and Sundays. So that's for three months. We don't know what's going to happen after three months.
1: You know, apart from it being important, obviously, to the local economy, uh, what about Thailand as a whole? Are they, for instance, marketing it as a place to go to? Are Are they trying to do things for Beitong?
0: I know the Tourism Authority of Thailand is trying to promote Beitong as one of the next new interesting destinations. The locals definitely, they see a lot of potential in Beitong. You know, they say like, you've been to Gotsamui, you've been to Phuket, why not come to the mountains and see Beitong? So this is how they are trying to promote themselves. But I think it's really also a function of price. Uh, You know, when you speak to, lo- to the locals, they don't doubt that, say, if the tickets on the flights were like half the current price, you would see a lot more people just come to Beitong on their own rather than rely on tour operators who are able to um, lower the prices through economies of scale. Right.
1: Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, the place does sound interesting. So you would recommend this to our listeners, and uh, hopefully, taking the plane rather than you know the winding mountain path.
0: Yeah, I think it's it's quite a sight to come into Tong by plane, and I think it's also quite an experience to wander through its streets, um, look at the street art. And um, just speak to local people who have so much um, history to share. Well, so that does sound
1: inviting, at least to me. And um, yeah, I suppose I might consider it. Well, thank you for that, Hui. And with that, it's a wrap for the letter from the bureau. We hope you enjoyed it. If you'd like to read Hui's column, we have a link for you in our podcast description box. And you'll also find there a link to all the other stories that have appeared in our Letter from the Bureau series.
0: The Asian Insider Podcast channel is also available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and our audio app. That's A-W-E-D-I-O. Like us and rate us.